Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. Really happy to be back with uh, one of our favorite guests, Scott Lizakowski, Head of Canadian Equity at Philip Sager and North Investment Management in Vancouver. Uh, with a uh, Actually, we got nice weather here in Toronto today, Scott, but I uh, always like to catch up on your better weather out west. Uh, what kind of day are you looking at out in Vancouver today? Oh, Dave, it's uh, springtime in Vancouver, which is probably one of my favorite times of the year. We're 10 degrees sunny. The uh, I don't want to rub it in because I know you guys had a little bit of uh, uh, winter, uh, wintry weather uh, lately, but we've got the cherry blossoms are in full bloom and spring is in the air in Vancouver, so can't complain. Yeah, I already regret asking you that question. We're going to get our, our, our typical sort of early April last snowfall kick in the head from, uh, from winter and, uh, and, and then we'll move on. But uh, I'm, I'm glad things are nice out there. Uh, it's also been nice, though, if you want to talk specifically about investments. Um, it's also been a good time to be a Canadian investor invested in Canada. And we were talking a little bit before we, we, we started uh, rolling the tape here uh, about the strength of the Canadian market this year. Um, again, not just in, in, in real terms, but in relative terms, when you look at markets all around the world. And you've got some, some really interesting stats on that. Yeah, Canada has been one of the best performing uh, equity markets uh, globally. I think it's 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 the best in the uh, developed markets. It's uh, second to Brazil across all markets. So it's been a really good start to the year. Um, and, and really, you know, not surprisingly, it's sort of driven by that uh, the composition. I think we've talked about it almost every time I'm on the show here. It's it's the uh, the high composition of of uh, cyclical. Uh, sector, so energy, uh, materials, industrials, the financials have not uh, performed as, as well as some of the other uh, cyclical sectors, but but certainly the energy and materials have. And and if you look at some of the best performing markets globally, um, you know, where it'd be Brazil, Canada, the UK, there's a high correlation of their strong performance, not surprisingly, and the amount of exposure those those indices would have to energy and materials. So you know, Brazil has the highest. It's about 42% when you combine energy and materials. Canada is second at 28%. And the UK is is uh, is next with 22%. And that would compare to the US at like 6.5%. So you could see why uh, Canada has been one of the best, best performing markets uh, due to its exposure. There was, a, there was a moment where Canada, I think it was at the end of uh, February, where Canada was the U.S. was down 12%. NASDAQ was down close to 20 and Canada was flat on the year. So that spread yes. was, was really wide. It's come in a little bit lately, but uh, it's been very strong. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, just once again, another example of, of why, you know, a Canadian investor is going to have Canadian holdings in their portfolio. Quite often, it's a, a little bit of an overweight position. Uh, and again, depending on your investment objectives, that could be a good or bad thing. Uh, but but the whole concept of diversification, uh, so that you're going to have that Canadian uh, and some of those other markets that are that 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 have performed well in your portfolio, uh, is a good mix. So I, I guess the big question then, Scott, is do you think this is something that can continue? So when we've seen this kind of significant outperformance in the past, is this something that continues through the year or for an extended period of time? What what's what's your outlook? Yeah, I mean, the outlook, uh, it's, it's, those are tough things to predict. But, you know, as you know, I love to look back at history and, and, and see, you know, what we can learn from previous periods of, of strong relative performance. So we, uh, we went back and looked at the sort of going back, you know, back to the 1950s. And so a number of periods to see where 
uh, if there's periods of strength where Canada has outperformed the U.S. like it has over the last three months. So Canada, uh, to start this year, uh, has outperformed the U.S. by just over 7%, which is a fairly significant number. Uh, surprisingly, it's not the highest it's ever been in the last sort of uh, 50 plus years. So, uh, but it would be pretty, it would be up there. It would be sort of in the 95th percentile in terms of relative performance. So when we look at those periods uh, where Canada has outperformed in the past and then, and then look at, you know, the forward periods after those. So if we just look at periods in which on a three month basis, Canada has outperformed the U.S. by, by greater than 7%. Um, what's the three-month, six-month, 12-month forward performance look like? And um, on average, Canada still continues to outperform. So on a three-month basis, it's just over, uh, it's just greater than zero. But on a six-month basis, it's almost 2%. And on a 12-month basis, it's almost 4%. And, And that compares, as we know, over long periods of time, Canada has underperformed sort of on a 12-month basis, Canada's underperformed the U.S. by about 1.5%. So a significant delta. And so that would lead us to sort of think that while the, the, the period of strength has been very strong of Canada versus the U.S., history says that it, 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 that it could persist uh, for some time. So, so that, um, that then speaks to uh, at least that part of the, the, the part of the Canadian market that's really been leading as you say, are these materials, energies, cyclicals, uh, is that, and, and that, that leads you back to, to higher commodity prices, whether it's, whether it's oil or, or, or metals or agricultural products, fertilizer, all these things that, uh, that are a big part of the Canadian market. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on pricing there? Is this, are we going to continue to see elevated prices and, and does that create any concerns for you moving forward? Yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think it does, you know, uh, the one thing I would say is that commodity prices, and we've sort of talked about it in the past, commodity prices have been strong. Obviously, they've gotten really strong uh, over the last several weeks. But, you know, for the prior year, um, commodity prices have been strong. And there's a number of factors at play. You know, we're talking about a company that's coming out of a pandemic. So uh, a, a, an economy coming out of a pandemic. So you have, um, you know, economies recovering, things like oil inventories are being drawn down as people are sort of getting back out there and you know, getting on airplanes again. Um, and so we're, we, we were starting to see all that sort of tightness creep back into the commodity markets prior to uh, even the, you know, what we've seen so far this year. Uh, what, what, what I find most interesting is that while the, the commodity prices were sort of sending signals to producers that, you know, inventories are getting lower, um, <clears throat> the strength in commodity prices would say, you know, now is a time to sort of bring on supply, but we weren't actually seeing that. And there's a number of reasons that play uh, that that would drive that. Uh, part of it is just sort of capital discipline amongst the commodity producers, and that I'm not just talking about oil, but across the metals complex as well. You're just not seeing commodity producers commit to spending the big capital uh, and making the big capital investments required to opening a new copper mine or bringing on you know large amounts of of oil production. So we just we hadn't seen that in a while. I think the, the previous commodity super cycle had really stung these management teams and their shareholders have sent the message to these companies to say, you know, we want you to be disciplined. We wanted, we want you to return some of these excess profits to shareholders. And so you're, you're just not seeing a lot of the CapEx increases as you would have seen sort of in the big, you know, the last yeah. big yeah. bull market that we saw for commodities. And then, and then secondly, 
I just think you have a lot of uncertain uncertainty around demand. It's, you know, talking specifically about oil, I think, you know, if you're an oil producer today, uh, or at least at the beginning of this year, you were sort of in the $80 oil price, you were enjoying that, that uh, the, the excess returns and profits you were getting at those commodity prices, you had managed your cost structure, you're being disciplined with your capital, you were using that excess free cash flow to pay down debt, pay, give dividends to shareholders, buy back your own shares. Uh, you're quite comfortable with that. And and the idea of spending significant amounts of that excess free cash flow on new projects, which, you know, the, the long term, uh, you know, while we're seeing an increase in demand in the near term, as the, you know, we come out of a pandemic, the long term demand for things like oil is very uncertain. So if you're thinking about, a, you know, making a, a large scale investment and in bringing on new oil production, you're looking at at least a 10 year payback. No one really knows what the demand picture is going to look like in 10 years. So they were really uh, not willing to make those investments. And, and then, of course, what's happened over the last several weeks is that now we're now we've sort of taken even more supply out of the market. And that's caused a, a spike in prices. And that actually becomes a little bit more worrisome as we go into price spike mode. So commodity strength is, is you know, that we saw you know, earlier this year was just sort of sending the signal to add supply. And when you go into this spike mode, what it's actually doing is, is trying to destroy demand. Uh, it goes from sort of inducing supply to, to destroying demand. And that's when we saw oil spike to 130. That's what the market was trying to do. And what worries me, um, you know, to sort of get to your outlook question is that, you know, when you have these spikes in prices to destroy demand, you, they tend to be recession inducing. And so, uh, you know, you're sort of trying to tie all this together. You have this recovering economy and then you have this, you know, this really tight environment for commodity prices causing prices to spike adding to what is already a fairly you know inflationary environment and it's just hard to sort of uh you know at least not you know uh assign some higher risk of recession if this if this type of environment persists now there's a number of things at play in terms of bringing on new supply whether it's temporary uh you know just releasing of reserves those types of things would be helpful uh, but i still think we have this structural tightness which is great for commodity prices and producers but it could be uh, risky for a, a recession down the road. Yeah, and I, I should mention a couple things here, uh, Scott. Just just not to leave them them hanging. One is uh, you did a fantastic job for people who are regular listeners to the podcast. Uh, you would have listened to Scott. I think it's a two two appearances ago for Scott where he walked through the way energy companies are managing their balance sheets and 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 how they're 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 they, they're different from previous cycles. In the way they're managing their balance sheet for a lot of different reasons goes into to, to that in detail, and then obviously um, you, you know it's it's this uh, in this tragic uh, situation that we have in in Ukraine uh, with the Russian invasion, which has has just created that you know additional tightness and that spike in prices, uh, and 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 that's uh, that that's something that again uh, the, the markets have to adjust to. Uh, to prevent uh, prevent those those prices from persisting, and again, we've seen prices come from you know 130 dollars a barrel back down to you know a little over 100 dollars a a barrel now. So 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 that adjustment seems seems to be taking place, and and so yeah, it, it is a it is a challenge. As we talked, we we had Stu Kedwell on yesterday, and we were talking a little bit about uh, the you know the the risk of a recession and the, the Federal Reserve and and central banks around the world, along with these higher commodity prices, inflation. Uh, and and the needle that you have to thread here uh, to 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 create the soft landing and uh, 
you know, again, what, what it's, it's funny that, that, that markets are, are kind of telling us, we look at odds, the odds are still very low of a recession, but it is something that you have to uh, you keep in mind as an investor and obviously a, an investment manager, Scott. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to predict these types of large macro events. You know, there's, there's the running joke that even the economists have a tough time uh, predicting uh, recessions and, but it, you know, the stock market, and I'm sure as Sue would lay it out is, uh, it, it thinks in scenarios, and as it assigns different weights to each scenario, that affects the price. And while we were probably at the beginning of this year a, a fairly low risk of recession, just given that we were coming out of uh, one that was in the pandemic, those odds have increased slightly. And I think you know you're right that the central banks really have a, a tough task at hand to sort of engineer the soft landing, as as people say, to to manage this rising inflation. Uh, as well as sort of, uh, you know, not not tip things too much into recession. So it's going to be a delicate balance. And what I worry about is, you know, Canada has that high cyclical exposure. So if we do tip into a recession, some of the relative strength that we've enjoyed uh, over the last, uh, you know, three months to start this year and 12 months, uh, you know, could could be at risk. So it's a, it's a bit of a delicate balance that we're that we're walking here. Well, after many, many years of underperforming the U.S., it's uh, it's nice to see Canada getting its uh, its time in the sun. I can see the uh, the weight off your shoulders a little bit. You're, you're a little 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 more chipper today in it's your our beautiful turn. weather. So it's it's your our turn. turn. So that's uh, for now. For now. For for now. Okay. Well, Scott, that that was uh, that was fantastic. Thanks for the update. Look forward to seeing you soon. I'm going to see you next week and uh, or in the next couple of weeks. And uh, always always appreciate you taking the time to to visit with us. Great. Thanks for having me, Dave. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.